Good morning. You guys doing well? It has been a stressful morning, and I desperately need this message. Guess what we're talking about this morning? Anxiety. And my anxiety is through the roof this morning, so I've got a front row seat, and uh, I'm going to be preaching to myself as I always do every weekend service. Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. This is the uh, teaching series that's going to take us home. Not, not that home. Not that home. The home over there on I-17. But uh, maybe that home. Maybe some of you, God will call you home. That'd be great, wouldn't it? To live is Christ. To die is gain. Gain. Better by far. And so in the meantime, we get glimpses of that, and so we, our, our souls long for him and long to be with him for all eternity. And so we're talking about anxiety. Let me some, uh, kind of summarize this whole teaching series, the book of Psalms. There's no greater prescription for what ails our soul than deep communion with God. That's what the book of Psalms is all about. St. Augustine, from his confessions said this, he said that our souls are restless. We were created for God and our souls are restless until we find our rest in him. And that means every aspect of our lives. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would indeed find rest in him. And I heard a story, uh, actually I read it, an article by a, a, a NASCAR driver And they were asking him in regards to these high speeds that they travel on these oval tracks if he ever experienced fear. This is what he said. He said, fear is always in the car with you. You just don't have to let it drive. I thought, that's good insight. And so if you've got fear, we're going to always have fear. We're going to always have fear on this side of eternity. And uh, sometimes it's going to be very inordinate. We're going to have a lot of anxiety, but you don't have to let it drive. And so... Let's learn how to not let it drive our lives. Although some anxiety is beneficial, it can be negative baggage that saps saps us emotionally and physically of our energy. It can rob us of happiness and peace. It can keep you from functioning effectively. And in fact, some severe forms of anxiety can emotionally paralyze a person. It's the number one mental health issue in American society today. So therefore, what is your strategy for facing the difficulties of life? What is your strategy for dealing with stress, with anxiety, with fear? David shows us that there is one thing that if we have it, we can face anything. That's where we're headed with our study this morning. Uh, How many would just say this morning by show of hands that you have something Or some things in your life that are certainly increasing your stress level right now. Show of hands, show of hands. Woo, there's a lot of us here this morning that desperately need to hear this message. And uh, how many would say, uh, by show of hands, uh, that one of your risk factors for increased stress is sitting next to you this morning? Show of hands. Okay. Or maybe somewhere in the room. Okay, yeah, you got two. The guy back here was two hands on each side. Yeah. I got you, brother. I can relate to you. Yeah, everybody's pointing, yeah. 
Okay, so we'll, try to, we'll help you try to deal with that, that stress factor, that risk factor you're sitting next to. Would you bow your heads with me? I'd like to pray uh, Psalm 55:22 this morning. It says, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. It's a wonderful verse. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. So God, we, we come to cast our burdens upon you this morning. And just for a moment, what is it that you're struggling with? Just talk to God about it. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you thought you could bear it on your own. You can't. God allows these burdens in our lives to draw our hearts close to him, to remind us that we are desperate for him. So God, we cast those burdens upon you. We give you these burdens. You told us that you would sustain us. I pray that you will do that, that we will leave here refreshed, recharged, revived, God, you promised that you would never allow the righteous, those who put their faith in Jesus, to be shaken. And so, God, we are those that have put our faith in Jesus, and so, therefore, we will not be shaken. Teach us about this one thing and give us this one thing that David desired that will help us to face anything for your glory, our soul satisfaction, in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. So let's take a look at this. We're going to read through this little by little, as you can see, and we're going to take a few verses. Sometimes we'll read completely through the text. Other times we'll just kind of walk through it. We're going to walk through it a chunk at a time. We've got it divided up into three sections. We're going to answer three questions. What makes us anxious? I think the first three verses help us with that. And then, what's the one thing I need to face anything? We'll look at that, verses 4 through 6. And then the rest of it is just, how do I get this one thing? How do I get it into my life? And so, let me begin reading Boy, I'll tell you what, this psalm has brought so many, so much comfort so many times in my life as I've recited these verses, particularly this, these first three verses, but the fourth verse in particular is just, just a sweet verse. It's a wonderful, wonderful verse. But uh, let me begin reading chapter 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So see, we're, we're dealing with anxiety. We're dealing with fear. He's just saying, hey, because God is this for me, I'm not going to fear. I don't need to be afraid. Now, now, he gets pretty graphic here. He says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? My adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Once again, there's that word. Anytime you see a, a same kind of idea or thought, that's the big theme. We're dealing with anxiety, fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So the opposite of fear would be there would be this confidence, this courage to face whatever you're facing. This is the word of the Lord, and we'll continue reading throughout. Let me give you, first of all, the answer to the question, what makes us anxious? Number one when problems are unexplainable, it creates anxiety within us. That's the reason why he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. There's just a lot of things that just don't make sense in life. There's just a lot of things that you're going to face that just doesn't, they don't, man, I don't understand this, God. I mean, here recently, what a terrible tragedy of the loss of the 19 firefighters on the wildland fire in Yarnell a week ago today. These guys are highly trained. What's up with that? That's crazy. What about the firefighter that was uh, killed here just uh, within the last month? He was crushed between a vehicle. What is that about? Man, if you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, you need to. 
Because the sovereignty of God brings us comfort because he is ultimately in control. Everything is father-filtered. He loves us. And I believe that he, he restrains a whole lot more than he allows. And I think this place would really be a mess if it wasn't for our God watching over us and taking care of us. And, and so when we can't make heads or tails out of things sometimes, we know this. God is, God is my light and my salvation. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. And in fact, Martin Luther put it this way, I know not the way God leads me, but well do I know my guide. So we got to get to know our guide. Because he'll lead us. We're not going to make heads or tails out of, why are you leading me this way? Just keep your eyes on him. Here's another thing that creates anxiety within us is when people are unchangeable. When people are unchangeable. Verse 2, he says, when evildoers assail me, he goes into more detail. And then if you still have your Bibles open, you can jump to verse 10. And he's running the, kind of the full spectrum, the full range. And he says, for my father and mother have forsaken me. Oh, my goodness. There's nothing worse. But check this out. But the Lord will do what? He will take me in. Here's the, here's the point, I think. In fact, you could insert any number of things. For my mother and father. For my spouse. Some of you have been forsaken by, by your spouse. Or your children. Or romance. Or health. Or finances. Or any number of things you can insert there. Though they forsake you, you lose them. Guess what? But the Lord will take me in. Here's the point. The worst kind of rejection can be healed by his his loving reception. The worst kind of rejection can be healed by his reception of us. He loves you. He loves you. Run into his arms of love. Um, I was thinking of, we've got a number of uh, people in our church that have adopted kids and have been, you know, they're, they're foster parents. Oh my goodness, that is wonderful. That's this verse. Those kids have been, have been forsaken by their parents and so you have come along to, to show them that the Lord has taken them in, that the Lord loves them. Isn't that wonderful? That's that, it goes right with that verse. That goes right with that verse. And then here's the third, third thing that brings anxiety. So when problems are unexplainable, when people are unchangeable in our lives, uh, the, the people we face, and then when circumstances are uncontrollable. In verse 3, he says, Though an army encamp against me, I mean, these are difficulties. These difficulties are beyond my personal resources is what he's saying. You got an army against you? That's how you feel sometimes. Sometimes you just feel like, wow, these are overwhelming odds. I cannot, I can't get beyond this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's what he's talking about here. And that creates stress. Now, here's what's interesting about this is that David is running the full range of human nightmares but says he can face anything if he has this one thing. And that's where we're headed, verses 4 Uh, four through six, and it is his strategy for life. You need a strategy for life. It's got to be more than just think positive thoughts, think nice thoughts, because that's what the world would say, or or I've heard interviews where people, uh, Brian Williams from Channel 12, I heard him once with after the bombing there in Boston, he was asking people, so what do you do to... uh, to distract yourself from all of this, you know, almost like uh, something to medicate yourself, the way that he was using the language. Well, we don't, that's what's so great about the Bible. The Bible's not about denial of reality. Peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of God. And so if you're looking to somehow get away from the problems, you'll never will completely get away from problems. Certainly, you know, you can pray for 
some change to your circumstances, but you're never going to get completely away from that. There's, in this fallen world, you will always have difficulty. We're going to always have problems. So what we need is something that's much bigger than our problems. Oh, guess what? We do. We've got God by his grace. Peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of God. And, and this is a strategy that doesn't minimize problems, but maximizes our perspective of God so we can face anything, so that we're not overwhelmed by the difficulties of life. It's, so you don't see him praying here some kind of circumstance enhancement prayer. God, I need a bigger chariot. This is David, by the way. I need a you know, bigger army to face this army, or I need a bigger throne. I need a bigger you know, castle to live in, or whatever, palace to live in. He's not, he's not praying that. He's praying, God, this is one thing, one thing I need. In fact, let's go on. Verses 4 through 6. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. So it's, it's a passion, it's a pursuit of his life, it's the, it's the priority, it's his purpose for existence, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon, wait, 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 David, that's not just one thing, that seems like two things so far, uh, and then he, almost like it's three things, so he says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, that's like three things, David. I don't understand that. Well, it's actually all one. I'll break it down for you, but it is all one. And then he goes on and he kind of gives us the results. If I can have this one thing, which consists of dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. That is wonderful. How we so desperately need to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And then to inquire in his temple. Here's the results. For he will hide me. In his shelter in the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high up on a rock. You see, he's kind of building as he's thinking about this. He's reflecting on this. He's getting a glimpse of what it's going to do in his life as he's gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, as he's dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, as he's inquiring in the temple. He will hide me. He will conceal me. He will lift me. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. No shame he's talking about. I'm not going to have any shame in my life as I face these obstacles. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So just this celebration as a result of what he's asking for. And he kind of gives us... The results of that in verses 5 and 6. So what's the one thing? Let's walk through this. The one thing, it is a sustained and profound sense of the reality of God's presence. When he says, verse 4, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David, you can't live in the temple. See, the temple was where the manifested presence uh, was. And and really, it was only the priest, the high priest could go into the place called the Holy of Holies. And they were really the only ones that could go in there. And he's asking for something that can't be done. But what he's asking for is to have a sustained, profound sense of the reality of God's presence. See, it's one thing to know God intellectually, to know God in your mind, to know maybe a lot about God in your mind, but it is altogether another thing to have a sustained and profound sense of the presence of God on your heart. So you can, you can spout a lot of verses and know a lot intellectually, but has that truth captured your heart? Has it gone down into your heart? Um, I talked last week about meditation and how uh, in meditation, I talked about the different ways that we, we talk to God. Sometimes we talk at God, we just kind of parrot prayers. 
kind of go through robotically with prayers. Kind of the next phase is, that, is where we uh, go beyond just parroting prayers, but we begin to talk to God with our own words. The next stage would be we're listening to God. So I talked about the difference between calling prayer, talking to God, and then listening prayers, more meditation. I begin to reflect on scriptures, and as I reflect on those verses, God begins to speak to me. He begins to reveal himself to me. And, uh, and then it goes from listening to God, two-way conversation, to just being with God. You have an overwhelming sense that he is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's why I said in Psalm, as we studied last week, you'll have to download the message and listen to it, but Psalm 1, verses 2 through 3, it says, uh, Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of the sinner or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in God's word, and he meditates on it day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. And, so, and then he goes on and talks about the benefits of that as we're drawing up nutrients and nourishment from our meditating on God's word, interaction with God, spending time with him. It brings uh, fruit in its season, as it says. Leaf will not wither, so you can face heat and drought because you have a source from God, regardless of how bad things may get, and then uh, you will have success in all that you do, is what he says in that. So whatever you do is not in vain, and God will make the, turn the bad into good. The truly good can never be taken from you, that relationship with God. And then the best is yet to come, of course, for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus. And so that's meditation. Psalm 23, 4, David says, you're familiar with Psalm 23. If we get a chance, we'll, we'll go through that psalm in this series. But the Lord is my shepherd. You guys familiar with that? Maybe some of you can quote it. But in that psalm, he goes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will do what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. That's just not some mental ascent. That's, that's, that's a guy that's living in the reality. It's like what he's praying for here, that sustained and profound sense of the reality of God's presence. And I could tell the difference. I wasn't doing it earlier this morning with the stress that I was facing. And I had to be reminded, you know, Scott had to talk me off of the roof of the PA building. And... Uh, <laughs> Talk me down. But, uh, and I was just, I had some stress, but then, you know, as you process, like with anything, you know, the, the stress meter pegs a bit, and, uh, you know, I blew off some steam, was ticked off, and just different things. I mean, we had no air. I don't know if he told you that, but we had no air in this building. And it didn't get turned on until about, about 30, 45 minutes ago. And still, we're trying to blow some air into the hallways and do all that. And thank you for bearing with us through this. But uh, I was. Uh, Locked and loaded, okay, uh, to say the least, uh, because I was thinking, man, we pay, good, you know, how the, you go through that whole thing, gymnastics, and you're like, we pay good money for this place and this, and what's up with the administration here? Are they clueless? We've been in here for eight years. Well, you know how you go through all that stuff, and it doesn't really help, but uh, just gets you more worked up, like you're ready to start hurting everybody that's close to you. You know, it's just not good. It's not healthy, and so fortunately... I'm here, and I'm teaching this, and you better pay attention, dude. I know, I will. Please forgive me. I'm trying, Lord. Help me. He knows. He knows. That's the reason why he stuck me right here at the front of the class. He says, he, says, he, he knows that I need it more than you guys. And so, hey, and by the way, if I can get this stuff, he's thinking, you guys can get it too, okay? 
because this guy's, this guy's, I've been working on him for a while, as God has been. But it's a sustained and profound sense of the reality of God's presence. Here's the next one. It is, it is to be enthralled and enamored by the Lord in and of himself. To gaze is sensory language. It's, it's adoration. And to gaze upon the beauty. Beauty means satisfaction. Satisfaction. Uh, religious people find God useful. Christians find God stunningly beautiful, pleasurable, enjoyable. I can kind of tell sometimes when people really understand the gospel because it, that they really find God pleasurable, beautiful. That's, that's people that really are beginning to understand the gospel. I can, and I know the difference between those that are just kind of going through the motions, checking the church box. It's like, wow, I'm not sure that you've really encountered him yet. Uh, yeah, but I said the prayer. Yeah, okay, I got that. But do you have a desire in your heart? Do you have an appetite for him that exceeds all other appetites? Because until you do, I don't know that you really have encountered him. Because that's what this is talking about here, gazing. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord is to find God in and of himself infinitely desirable and more satisfying than anything this world has to offer. Once you've gazed upon the beauty of the Lord, you realize how absurd it is to live for the fleeting pleasures of this world because God is more dazzling, more magnificent, more wonder-inducing than anything you have ever experienced. And so a heart enthralled by the beauty of God is not only ruined for anything else, but prepared to face anything else. Listen to this uh, quote. This guy was talking about a little bit of what this means. And really what we're talking about, when you gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, you're looking into the face of God, spiritually speaking. And one of these days, we will see him face to face. Oh, my goodness, that'll be amazing. Talk about the highest joy you've ever experienced. But we get glimpses of that, and we certainly can experience that spiritually. It's a little bit of what I talked about last week, the word blessed, the blessed life. Blessed is the man, the blessed life, total fulfillment, complete well-being. Number six, the high priestly uh, uh, blessing where it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. This is a little bit of what one writer put. It's only in the face of God that the deepest longings of the human soul can be fulfilled. It's actually seeing the face of God looking at us in love, And, of course, we, we know that the face of God is in Jesus. And as we, you read through the Gospels and you read the Bible, it's revealing to us Jesus. So we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Uh, third chapter of Second Corinthians uh, talks about that. And so the only set of eyes that matter in the world looking at us, loving us, that's the beauty we're looking for. Because then we know that we cosmically and eternally matter. We matter to God, and therefore we matter eternally, and that's the thing we most need, to have that assurance inflicted deep into our soul. And see, that's what eliminates the excessive anxiety in our life, freeing us to make much of God, to live, to live for his glory. Now, let me talk a little bit about this uh, uh, adoration, this idea of adoration and uh, because I, I, I gave you an acrostic last week that as you meditate on Scripture, as you take a, a text of Scripture, such as this one, uh, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's what I want. That's what I long for, to have a sense of His presence. To inquire also means just, and we'll talk about that, just means to seek 
God, I need your guidance. And he'll elaborate that as we continue to read. But I talked about A-C-T-S, Acts, the acrostic, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So the C is confession. That's asking for forgiveness. Thanksgiving is, is thanking God for what he has done. Supplication is, is, uh, is actually petition prayer. It's asking God for something. But adoration is asking for nothing but God himself. God, I want you. I want to experience you. I want to know you. Gazing upon the beauty is adoration. When you begin to realize who it is that walks through your day with you, you can face anything. And so when I, when I spend time in adoration, this is the, really the, the, the deepest pathway into intimacy with God, I begin to reflect on his attributes. Who is God? And begin to tie them specifically to wherever I might be most anxious. I begin to apply the truth and the beauty and the glory of who God is specific to where my life is and my heart is most restless. For instance, his death reminds me he died to give me forgiveness, acceptance, and life. Fullness of life. His death means fullness of life. His love If I'm really resting in his love, his love does what? It chases away the fears in my life. I'm not resting in his love. So I work that deep into my heart. I remind myself. I have to say that over and over. God, you do love me. You gave your life for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. So you recite that. You think about it. You let it go deep into your heart. And God begins to illuminate it and make it alive to you. We'll talk more about how that happens. When I look to his wisdom, would you guys say that God's pretty wise? infinitely wise yeah so I I look to him for guidance how do I navigate through this God I don't know what to do I'm freaking out right now I'm stressed out he will guide you seek him seek his guidance how about his sovereignty that there's not one maverick molecule on this planet earth there's security in that otherwise you know we might as well call it off as far as prayer is concerned because if he's not sovereign he's not in control he can't there's things that he can't do he can do anything and everything How about power? What about his power? His power can give you strength. How about his presence? His presence can give you peace. How about his promises? His promises bring you hope. See, it's like what Jonathan Edwards said. It's one thing to know that honey is sweet. It's altogether another to have the sweetness on your tongue. It's one thing to know that God is, is loving and wise and sovereign. It's another thing to have a sense of that on your heart. That begins to chase the fears away. So you begin to, that's how you begin to work through the fears and the anxieties. That's how I do it. As I come back to him, I gaze into his beauty. I begin to remind myself of all of who he is. And uh, he meets me in my time of prayer and in my Bible study. And you know what's crazy about this? Is that I'll be reading and it's just hardly a morning that doesn't go by that he doesn't speak specific to where I might be and what I'm needing for that day. It might not come to me until later on that day. You know, it's crazy because uh, I needed this message this morning. I didn't know what we were going to face. We had all kinds of obstacles this morning. But the Lord knew I needed this. He was ready. He's ready for me. And, uh, and I needed to learn this. And so guess what, guess what we're going to talk about next week? Death. No, we're, gonna, we're not going to talk about death. We're going to talk, talk about spiritual uh, depression. Working through depression. Psalm 42. So get ready. I mean, so, so whatever, just kind of whatever you're facing, he meets us right where we are. Uh, 
with whatever we're facing. Let me continue uh, on here. Here's an experience of the beauty of the Lord is transforming in three ways. Now, there's an interesting movie, and I, I, I use a lot of different illustrations from movies. Use your own discernment and your own convictions as it relates to what movies you need to be watching, okay? And this, this one, it might be a little better to watch it on the edited version on the TV, you know, network, major network. Because there's some stuff in this, just beware. But this is the movie Shawshank Redemption. And in this movie, uh, uh, the acclaimed movie, The Shawshank Redemption, maybe you're familiar with it, tells the story of the institutional life in a gritty uh, penitentiary One day, a prisoner defies the prison warden and plays an opera song over the prison's loudspeaker. Anybody remember that in the movie? And the main character, Red Redding, who is that? Morgan Freeman. And so he's kind of uh, the moderator throughout. So he narrates over the scene how that song, the beauty of that song, transforms Shawshank as it echoes throughout the prison. Now listen to his words. This is what he says. I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. I like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. Because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and further than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. Do you remember what, what happened? Those guys all kind of stopped. They were out walking in that big open field, and they were just like, they were all mesmerized just for a moment. And uh, it was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made these walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man at Shawshank felt free. Those are wonderful words from, from a movie that just kind of help us to understand beauty. So this is what beauty does. I've given you these uh, to you before. This is actually from 1999 Harvard English professor Elaine Scarry. Uh, she wrote an article on beauty and being just, and these are some of the three of the points, and they, they, they apply really to this gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. Here's what beauty does for us as we gaze upon the beauty of God. Beauty gets you out of your self-absorption. Beauty will get you out of your self-absorption. Um, Let me expound on that. So verse 5, he will hide me, he will conceal me, he will lift me up. Self-absorption basically just means that my problems are bigger than me. I'm just absorbed with all my problems. They're bigger bigger than me, bigger than life, bigger than everything. But God absorption basically means that God is bigger than my problems. It's really the power of proximity, that the closer I move to God... The more I begin to see his beauty, the smaller my problems get. So if my problems seem pretty overwhelming, temptations are alluring, it's because you need to get closer to him. Because he's the one that gives us that ability to get through that. So beauty gets us out of our self-absorption. As, as uh, John Piper said, nobody goes to the Grand Canyon to build their self-esteem. Doesn't make sense, does it? Hey, everybody, look at me. Now, some of us on Facebook might take a picture of us like that and post it and go, hey, look how great I am. No, get out of the way. I want to see the canyon. But... Uh, but beauty gets us out of our self-absorption. The next one is beauty infuses hope through the conviction of meaning. When you see beauty, you hear a beautiful song. It just There's something about that. You go, hey, we're not here by accident. There's no way. That's too moving. That's too stirring. He says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I have a sense of purpose. 
There's meaning in my life is what he's saying. And then beauty creates community through the joy of praise. Verse uh, 6b, second part, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. See, when you experience something beautiful, you immediately feel the need to want to tell someone else. So when we look around and we see the beauty of creation, every created beauty was created by God to lead our affections to him. Our unspeakable joy and wonder in him is the ultimate human experience. Let me read to you something else. This is... uh, from uh, Steve DeWitt's book, Open, uh, Eyes Wide Open. I would encourage you to pick that up. You can pick it up maybe on Kindle or something, but it's Enjoying God and Everything. It's really a good book. It was really a, one of the top, I think, one of the top Christian books of this last year. But this is what he says. Let me quote this. He says, uh, What if we were to realize that every sunset viewed Every sexual intimacy enjoyed, every favorite food savored, every song sung or listened to, every home decorated, every rich moment enjoyed in this life isn't ultimately about itself, but is an expression and reflection of God's essential character. Wouldn't such beautiful and desirable reflections mean that their source must be even more beautiful and ultimately more desirable? I love that. That's good. You guys remember the quote by C.S. Lewis. He says that God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. And we talk about the second part of that, but very seldom we talk about the first part. He's whispering to us in our pleasure. I wrote this down, that, that every sunrise, sunset, every favorite dessert and rock concert, every feast and friend, he's whispering to you. He's whispering. He's saying, hey, there's more. There's much more than just this. I believe he's whispering to us to say, hey, this is a gift from me. This is an ultimate pointer to me. The ultimate, deepest and most durable joy and satisfaction and pleasure. And, uh, and so every created Beauty was created by God to lead our affections to him. But ever since the fall, we struggle to see how desirable and beautiful God is above all else. That's the battle. That's what we struggle with. We tend to latch on to to things, to things in creation. We tend to make the things of creation being more desirable and more attractive to our hearts than than God until we get a glimpse of his beauty and his glory. And then we realize, oh my goodness, what folly that I would chase after all of these things. No, these were gifts from him to point me to him so that I might have him for all eternity. Let's read the rest of this. Uh, verses 7 through 14. So you're going to see a little bit of a struggle that he's working this, and this is, that's what I love about the Psalms. In touch with reality. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You hear a little struggle there? You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Here's some struggle. Yeah, there's some major struggle going on. He's not living in the reality of verse 4 yet. He's, He's praying. He's seeking. He's working, trying to work out his salvation with fear and trembling, working the specific truths of God deep into where his heart is most restless. 
Verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe, all these are great words how he ends, especially this verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the, in the land of the living. What makes you think that? I mean, he's, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about one of these days I'm going to be with, with you. I'm going to be looking into your, into your goodness and looking into your face and your beauty. I'm going to be hanging out with the living, no longer hanging out with, with the dead and the dying in this life. And then he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So what, um, what's the one, uh, I'm sorry, uh, how do I get this one thing? How do I get this one thing? Number one, repent of my disordered loves. My disordered loves. He says, be gracious to me, verse 7, verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face I, I seek. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do you guys know the difference between, see if the person next to you knows this, knows the difference between seeking the face of God versus seeking the hand of God. Is this, real quick, ask them if they know the difference between seeking the face of God versus seeking the hand of God. Real quick. So what do, you guys, what do you guys think? Seeking the hand of God. How many were saying something like this? Seeking the hand of God is God is a means to an end. God is a means to an end. Is that what you guys were thinking? Seeking the hand of God? But seeking the face of God is just, you just want God. God, if I have you, it doesn't matter what happens. That's, that's, that's the idea. That's why he's saying he's struggling with this. He's struggling. He's saying, you told me seek your face. God, I want to seek your face. Help me to seek your face. But my natural inclination is to seek your hand. And I find, more, I find what you give to me as being more desirable than you. And by the way, that's, that's treasonous. I mean, that's, that's sin. That's, that's the uh, disordered love is to love anything more than, than God. Now, treason, this is how it works out in our life. I, I saw, I heard an interview with a guy recently that uh, his family kind of went into the toilet, just got trashed, it was kind of messed up, and he said that he, he neglected his family because he was pursuing his career. So he had disordered love. He had a greater love for his career than his family. So he pursued his career at the expense of his family. That's called disordered love. So when we pursue anything more than we would pursue God, that's a, that's a disordered love. And it's in, inevitably, it's going to create problems within our life because we were never meant to put anything at the center of our life other than God. So we're, we're really setting ourselves up. So when he's telling us to seek him with all of our heart, it's because we were created in such a way that we need him, we desperately need him at the center of our lives. No one, nothing can ever take his place. That's where we're going to find our deepest joy and deepest satisfaction. So sin is looking to something else to give us what only Jesus can give us. And I, I see this, my wife and I see this all the time in relationships. People run into relationships they have no business being in, and it's because they're They're desperate. It's because Christ isn't at the center of their lives. They're not seeking him. And, and maybe they might even be seeking his hand, thinking that, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll pursue this person. Sin is seeking his hand rather than his face. So, so, so let's talk about this. Excessive anxiety happens when disordered loves, God substitutes, counterfeit gods, are being threatened. So think about it. So I put all of... 
all of my marbles in one bag, you know, all the eggs in one basket, so to speak. I, I, I'm saying to myself, if I have this, I have purpose, meaning. If I can get this relationship, I know that my life will have meaning. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm saying. That's a disordered love. And so when disordered loves are threatened, so goes our anxiety level. So if your anxiety level is high, you've got to remove, uh, you know, you've got to replace your disordered loves with the one and true and only love, God, and he will see you through whatever you're going through. Those will be all secondary. It doesn't mean you don't grieve. It doesn't mean that there aren't sad times in your life, but he will get you through this. You will be consolable. You can kind of tell when someone has a disordered love or this counterfeit God is because they're inconsolable. They're ticked off the rest of their life. My parents, they did this to me. I will never forgive them for that. That's a disordered love. That bitterness is a disordered love. Because you're saying to yourself, I can't live without this. And when God says, hey, wait, even if your family deserts you, I'm there for you. I will be there for you. I, I love you. I will take care of you. So, so when we kind of talk like that, it's just what we're doing is revealing our disordered love. We're, we're revealing our idolatry. And so our anxiety level pegs in direct proportion to how much we have built our lives on disordered loves. Think about it. I mean, every day. Every day. My, my disordered love of having everything perfect so that everybody, when they come in here, this place is nice and cool and the music's perfect and, and the teaching is okay and uh, whatever so that people can have a great experience. But more importantly, I want people to encounter God. But it's kind of hard when it's, you know, 115 outside and you're sitting in here. And we were actually looking at the possibility of canceling services today. And so it's just like, ah, but I got to say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. God can see us through. Oh, if we have to. People will understand. We'll move on. Another day in the history of Desert Breeze, and God's bigger than all that. I had to get to that place. I had to work through that. And, uh, and some things, for some reason, you know, they create more anxiety than other things, you know, because some people are just like, nah, no big deal. We'll cancel service. It's like, no, that is a big deal. Get over here. You know, so you're ready to work them over because of that. So, I mean, so it, it just depends on what your, what your disordered love is. Okay, let's continue on. So, uh, rearrange my schedule to make spiritual disciplines a practice. I need to have some spiritual equity. And that's what you see in verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after. This is disciplined, persevering prayer. When he says to inquire in his temple... Basically, what he's saying here is to go to the priest asking for God's will in regards to a decision. That's, that's Bible study. So he's talking both about prayer, Bible study. And then verse 11, he says, teach me your way. Lead me on level paths. He's not asking for comfort, but spiritual progress. God, I want to make spiritual progress. And then the very last verse, he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. So spiritual disciplines increase our capacity to experience more of the presence of God. And they give us the equity so that when... When stuff hits the fan, and you know what I'm talking about, when things go south, when things are getting crazy in your life, you got something to draw upon. Pity the person who has not built spiritual equity into their life. People neglect church, do their own thing, whatever. I mean, we all do a measure of that, thinking, hey, I'll be fine, pride, unbelief, you know, uh, idolatry takes hold. And that's what we're trying to work beyond because it's in all of our hearts but uh, and this uh, spiritual disciplines are really building an altar so that God can bring fire. First Kings eighteen, Elijah against the prophets of Baal. He built an altar and expected God to bring the fire. 
So we build an altar day in and day out, week in and week out, and pray that God will bring a fire. God, illuminate this. Make it alive. Let me have an encounter with you through the study of your word. And here's the last one. Remember, I can see the beauty of God in creation, but mainly I see the beauty of God in redemption. He says in verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here's what he's saying. Foretaste of heaven are a balm, are healing salve for present sorrows and strife. It's almost like he's saying this also. The first moment in the arms of my Lord will heal and make right a lifetime of pain and suffering. So he's saying, I believe that I, will, I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the day of living. How does he know that? Because he knows he's, he's saved. He's looking ahead as we look back. He's looking ahead. They didn't know really all the specifics of that, but they, they were saved by faith through grace. Romans 4 Hebrews 11 makes that clear. They look ahead, we look back. And so he says, hey, I know I'm going to be with you. I know you're going to take care of me. And uh, the first moment in the arms of my Lord will heal and make right a lifetime of pain and suffering. Hey, would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. I just want us to reflect on this a little bit. The band's coming up at this time. They're going to lead us on a, in a really a beautiful song that I think is going to help us to gaze upon his beauty. That's what I want us to do as we end our time together. And... Uh, just want to talk to you a little bit about what that means and how we apply it to our life. Every story that has sacrificial love in the heart of the plot is, is the most compelling story. There's nothing more beautiful than sacrificial love. Just with your heads bowed, eyes closed, just take a moment. I want you to reflect on this. Every story that has sacrificial love in the heart of the plot is a really compelling story. It is why the loss of the 19 firefighters in the Yarnell Fire is so moving because these guys gave their lives for the protection of property, all that some people owned in this world, and also for the protection of people's lives. And that's why it's so moving and so stirring and so traumatic to us because we see the, the love throughout that. And we see the outpouring of people supporting their families during this time. But I want to take you to really the ultimate sacrifice, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who was absolutely beautiful, gave up his beauty and became radically deformed and disfigured on the cross. Isaiah 52, 14 says that he was disfigured and marred beyond human likeness so that we who are spiritually ugly and disfigured because of sin can become absolutely beautiful. Isaiah 53, 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. So God, I pray that that would sink deep into our heart, that we would know that we have nothing to prove, nothing to lose. In Christ, we are beautiful in in the eyes of the only one in the universe that matters. And God, this morning as we wrap up our time and as we sing this song about your beauty and your glory, may our hearts be enthralled by the beauty of all of who you are and what you've done for us to the degree that it would ruin us for anything else and prepare us to face anything we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we conclude our time together with this song about the beauty of God? Use this as an opportunity to gaze, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord once again and to take whatever is troubling you this morning, take it to Him. He loves you. He loves you.